0: Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for For good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified." And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Dear Lord God, we thank you for, we thank you for the words. We thank you for the guidance that, uh, that you give us. But more so, we thank you for, for being the called, for being those to, to serve you. We thank you that, uh, that you place upon us uh, your will. We thank you that, uh, that you count us as justified and that you allow us to be glorified in your image. We thank you for those that go out before us, the family and the friends, uh, that do the will of of your word. We say these things in your blessed name. Amen.
1: Well, we've been uh, working our way through the The book of Romans, we've been parked in Romans chapter 8 for something like six weeks so far. Does that sound about right? So for those of you who were hoping this was it, no. But we're closer. We're closer. Remember as we began the journey, as we're working our way through the book of Romans, we discussed the fact that Romans 1, 2, and 3 lays out for us that all mankind everywhere is condemned. That we stand guilty before God, guilty of devaluing, dishonoring. Um, we have brought offense to the creator of the universe. He declares it to us in chapters 1 through 3. But then he tells us, after we understand our place, that we have a depraved nature, that we find ourselves uh, in need of a Savior, he declares to us in chapters <clears throat> 4 and five that we have been justified right jesus christ came john three sixteen tells us that god so loved the world even in that state right romans chapter 5 tells us that when we were yet sinners christ died for the ungodly that our state was not a state whereby we earned some favor of god but that he gave us undeserved favor that's what we we call grace right as we As we discuss in the scripture. So he does the miracle of justification. The scripture tells in John chapter 1. To as many as received him. To them gave you the power to become the children of God. To as many as believed upon his name. So Jesus came. He provides for us that example. He pays the penalty for our sin. And whoever believes. Whoever receives that gift that he's offering. God declares him or her to be righteous that's called justification we are justified by faith we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ God declares us righteous now this is a key point God declares us righteous that doesn't mean you're righteous so if I understand this correctly God declares me righteous then I should expect when I look around in the church to see people who are struggling being righteous is that what you see Ah, oh, come on, that's what I see. I look around, I see some people have a hard time. We, we, The things we ought to do, we don't do. You guys remember Romans chapter 7, right? So we have justification, a declaration by God that we can now have a relationship with Him. He has saved us from the penalty of our sin. Then we come to chapter 6 and 7, talking about sanctification. The fact that Jesus Christ moves inside of us, right? Jesus said in, in Romans chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man opens the door, what's he say? I will come into him. And I will sup with him and he with me. He's talking about having the, a, a close relationship. So Jesus comes in to those who receive the gift that he's offering by faith. And they are sanctified. I am being made holy by his presence in my life. Right? That sets me apart from anybody else or from anyone who doesn't have Jesus Christ in their life. I'm being set apart, sanctified. He's working now inside. Rather than an external set of rules and regulations, I have an internal Christ. I have an internal Savior. I have the Holy Spirit working within me, right? To perfect me from the inside out. That's sanctification. Chapter 6 told us that we who have been saved can't continually live in sin any longer chapter 7 tells us what our relationship is to the law we're dead to the law because we died with christ we're united with him and we've been raised again to newness of life but at the end of chapter 7 what's he tell us at the end of chapter 7 he says these are all declared positions gifts that god's given that he's working in me but in my in my reality i find myself in romans chapter 7 The things I know I should do, I don't do. The things I ought to do, those are the things I don't do. Who will save me from the wretched man that I am? This body of death. Who will save me? Jesus Christ will. That brings us into Romans chapter 8. The key words in Romans chapter 6 was sin. Key word in Romans chapter 7 was law. Key word in Romans chapter 8 is the spirit. It's the answer to the question. I shouldn't live in in sin anymore if I'm being sanctified. I'm not under the law anymore, but how do I live my life? My life is kind of chaotic. I don't understand what to do. That's what Romans 8 is for. That's why we're slowing down. Romans 8 is the Holy Spirit within us. It's the Holy Spirit in us working, building, moving, making, answering the question of Romans chapter 7, who will save me? Jesus Christ, because He's given me his holy spirit to work within me to do these things let's just for a moment look at the things that we've talked about that that describe what the spirit is doing and working in our life according to verse 2 of romans chapter 8 it's the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus that sets me free from the law of sin and death according to verse 4 it's the holy spirit helps me fulfill the just requirement of the law you remember that The just requirement of the law is that we would love. And the love of God is poured out in your life, how? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to fulfill the just requirement of the law. According to verse 6, it's the Holy Spirit which gives us life and peace. According to verse 11, God will raise us from the dead by the Spirit who dwells in you. Our resurrection is accomplished by the Holy Spirit within us. According to verse 13, it's the Holy Spirit helps us put to death the deeds of the body. Overcome those issues and attitudes of sin in our life. According to verse 14, the sons of God, the children of God, if you will, are led by the Holy Spirit. And according to verses 15 and 16, it's the Holy Spirit which bears witness in us that we are the children of God. And so gives us our assurance of salvation. And last week we looked, verse 23 tells us that the Holy Spirit is the foretaste or the guarantee of our final redemption. And today we see one more aspect of that. As we begin in verse 26 of Romans chapter 8, something that the Spirit is working in us. He's referring in the beginning of Romans eight twenty six. You see the first word there. It says likewise. All through chapter 8, we've been talking about how the Spirit empowers the believer. How he gives us victory that we can overcome the body of death. How we can experience the reality. Because the scripture told us last week that all creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God, right? That the whole world is under a fall, is under the fall. It's all tainted by the fall and it longs for or groans. Actually, that word groan is to, to make a sound without words. So without words, without they're groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. Now you and I might say, well, we're right here. Yeah, we're just not all that great yet though, are we? I mean, if this is the end all beat all man that's just not such a great deal why are they groaning because you and I aren't yet what we're supposed to be we have not yet been perfected we have not yet become what the scripture tells us we will be the scripture tells us not that we have already become but that we we understand when we see him we will be like him will be glorified. We still struggle here. We still have battles here. We still are working our way through faith. Am I really of faith? Am I someone who is committed to the Lord Jesus Christ? I hate that word, by the way, because committed is like I can be committed today, and tomorrow I don't feel so committed, and somebody else may want to commit me later. But I think the best way to, to consider it is am I... Holy, surrendered to the Lord. Am I His? All creation groans, the earth groans, the nations groan, the kingdoms groan. For the day, the sons of God will be glorified. So as that's going on, and as the Spirit is helping us in the meantime, He tells us here in, in verse 26, likewise, In the same way that we've seen these other examples of the Holy Spirit working in our life. Look at verse 26. The Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Groanings that cannot be uttered. So what's the condition that necessitates the prayer? What's our condition? He told us there, our weaknesses. Or some Bibles say our infirmities. Let's make it simple. The Greek says, athous entis. It means to be without strength. It's not talking about sickness only. It's not talking about suffering only. It's not talking about our propensity to sin only. It's talking about our weakness. We are, because of our vulnerability, Because we are without strength. Everywhere, it's so important that we grasp this, everywhere God declares that you and I are without strength. So we really ought to stop trying to do anything on our own strength or our own power and recognize the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. The condition that we have is we are weak. We are without strength. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew 26, 41, He said, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. For the Spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is without strength. We have no strength apart from the Holy Spirit in our life. Likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us. So what's the condition that necessitate, necessitates? Wow, that's a hard word. The prayer, it is our weakness. And how is it that He does it? He helps us. I'm not even going to try to say the Greek word because it's a it's a combination of five different words put together. And maybe next time I'll save the recording and have uh, Justin Alfred say it for you, but... But uh, if, you're, if you're curious, you can go check it out on Blue Letter Bible. He'll say it for you on Blue Letter Bible. But this Greek word does not mean to carry the load for you. It means to come up under the load with you. And then take the lead to help you, working together with you, to overcome your lack of strength. Here's the perfect picture of it, guys. Jesus said the exact same words. We come to Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. We, we should be familiar with that verse, right? Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's how an oxen was to be trained. Not given the responsibility of shouldering the whole burden, but coming underneath the yoke, underneath, and being helped. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. He's not carrying everything. He is strengthening us. Sometimes we wonder, why didn't God just do it all for us? Well, then you have learned nothing. What was what would be the point? So rather the Lord, through His Holy Spirit, comes alongside and helps you in your lack of strength. He comes beneath you and shoulders part of the burden. Lifts that part that we can't carry. You know how often we say things that aren't really true? Have you ever said this? God never gives us more than we can handle. You guys know that's not in the Bible, right? No, I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible. Well, you should probably read what it actually says. When the Bible talks about the Lord giving us that which we can handle, He's talking about temptation. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Everybody's tempted. But with that temptation, He will give you a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now where in there did you hear me say, God won't give you more than you can handle? Oh, but isn't that what it means? No. God will frequently give you more than you can handle. God will give you more than you can handle just so you'll realize you need His help to bear the load. You get what I'm saying? Because we are without strength, He helps us. He gives us more than we can bear so that we will learn. And it's He who comes beside us to help us bear up under the load that we have. Well, let's look again. What's this, this, the Holy Spirit comes along. He helps us in our weakness. What specifically is the area in which we are without strength? We don't know the what to pray. That's what it says in the Greek. We don't know the what. You ever have somebody come up to you and say, Man, would you pray for me that I could get this new job? And we say, yeah, 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 I'll pray for you that you get that new job. Now how do you know that new job is what God wants? How do you know that, that healing is always what God wants? How do you know that the struggle that we find ourselves in, the, the deliverance from that struggle is what God wants? What he says is we're without strength, and the Holy Spirit comes alongside to help us because we don't know the what to pray. We don't know how. We, we know how to say the words, but we don't know the direction that God's moving or the things that God desires. So the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit comes alongside us. So just think about the things. Didn't Paul pray to the Lord three times? Lord, please take this from me. But that wasn't God's will, was it? The Lord said no. No. My strength is made perfect in your. What was the word? Weakness, which is the lack of strength. So in that case, it, it wasn't God's will to take that thing from him. Well, here's another example. Maybe you guys have prayed like this: Lord, please give me what I want. You ever p- prayed that way? I've heard lots of times in my life, I wanted something. That 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 I was just sure I would die without. And I was usually willing to trade everything I had for the one thing. You know, like you do with your parents on Christmas. Look, uh, this is the only thing I want. You don't have to give me nothing else. You guys ever say that? Yeah, Some of us have said it to God. Lord, you don't have to give me nothing else. Just give me that man over there. He's so godly. And God is saying, no, he's not. I ain't giving him to you. And you, we get all broken hearted. You know that Moses prayed this way? Moses prayed this way in Deuteronomy chapter three. Moses prayed, "Lord, I've followed you, and I've been so faithful with you. And I know I messed up with that whole hitting the rock thing twice, but please let me go into the promised land." And God said, "No, no. We don't always know the what that we are to pray." We don't always know it. Here's our favorite. Lord, why are you doing this to me? Why? Wednesday nights, we've been working our way through the through the book of Job. We may still be in Job by the time we finish Romans. I don't know. But as we've been working our way through Job and taking a look at what it says, listen to what Job had to say in the Along the lines of this same concept, the wise. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I have come from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin with his mouth. That's chapter 1. There are 41 more chapters. You know what happens in those 41 chapters? Job says, God, why? And in chapter 42, when God shows up and gives His answer, you know what question He doesn't answer? God, why? We do not know the what... Of how we are supposed to pray. So, likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us, shoulders the burden of our struggle with understanding how we ought to pray. And how does it, how is it that He helps us? He helps us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now, there's a couple ways to look at that verse. Is it the Holy Spirit groaning? Now there's an important thing for us to, to recognize and to understand as we as we take a look at, at this scripture. As we look at what the Lord lays out for us. The Holy Spirit is God. Does God groan? Creation groans. And you and I, we groan. I'm not sure that, that God needs to groan. And if you really check out what this verse says, look at it. The Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself, who is Himself a person, right? The Spirit Himself, one of the parts of the Godhead, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, I want you to think about that. The Holy Spirit comes alongside to help you in your prayers, so He, the Holy Spirit Himself prays for you to who? God the Father. So the Holy Spirit is inside of me, helping me with words I don't even utter, sounds I don't even hear, to fix my prayers according to God's will. So as I pray to Him, the Holy Spirit is working within me, In my prayer to the Father. Now, you know why that should be encouraging? God always answers the prayers of the Holy Spirit. He always answers the prayers of the Son. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, right? And He lives to do what? Always make intercession for us. So He's praying for us. The Holy Spirit is working within me in this battle that I'm having to be the man that God wants me to be, helping me with my prayer time, working and functioning within my heart, working within me. So the Spirit knows to ask for things you and I won't ask for. The Spirit knows to ask for things you and I won't ask for. You and I might come together and you may say, Man, I I need prayer for healing. And so I'll anoint you with oil and I'll pray for healing. But the Holy Spirit is speaking through the prayer, making sure you get endurance and strength because He knows it's going to be a long journey. Isn't that not comforting? Because we don't know how we ought to pray. The Holy Spirit knows how we ought to pray. It says that the Spirit asks for things that we don't know how to ask for because of our weakness. Because we are without strength. Maybe we, we're thinking too much about our own ability, but the Holy Spirit is there in that prayer saying, Lord, this guy needs a lot of strength. He needs a lot of help due to his weakness. It tells us that the Holy Spirit asks for things that are in accordance with what? God's will. We may be praying for that new job of the Holy Spirit within us with groaning sounds that we can't hear, is saying to the Father, Your will be done. You give Him the endurance He needs because this isn't the job for Him. It's comforting for me to know because it tells me I have a really hard time messing it up. Won't I? If I'm praying and going before the Lord and making my requests known to Him, and the Holy Spirit is within me working my prayers out so that they are fitting, that they, so that they are, are <coughs> asking <coughs> for the things that I need, man, that's good news for me. And the struggle of being who I need to be in Christ, that the Holy Spirit is with me, praying with me, guiding me, helping me, See, look what it says in verse 27. Now he who searches the heart. Who's that? That's God. God the Father searches the heart. He who searches the heart knows, the, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Well, that's not a stretch, right? God the Father knowing what the mind of the Spirit is? Or vice versa? The Spirit knowing what the mind of God is? It says that God who searches our hearts... He knows, he understands, he sees, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. God understands our groanings. And the Holy Spirit helps us because he knows the what of our prayer. You know, you can see this in the Old Testament. Children of Israel are in uh, uh, Egypt. And the Pharaoh comes on the scene that doesn't know Joseph. And things start getting bad for him. And the scripture says that they began to cry out and groan. And their groanings reached to heaven. Now what was the groan? The groan isn't words. It's not necessarily crying out for a deliverer. The groanings is just, oh you're alright brother. And he's health conscious. You notice he brought me water. (laughs) Thanks. I'm going to need that. So he he knows their groanings. And he knows the what of what they need. So they may have been calling for a lot of things. But God knew. He heard. He began preparing Moses for the deliverance of his people. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it throughout the scriptures. We have eyes to see it multiple times. Where God's people are... Praying, calling out, groaning. And the Holy Spirit helps us pray. It covers our weakness and helps us pray according to the will of God. Now that doesn't mean we have to be afraid of how we pray. We don't have to be afraid to to ask God for things. It's okay. Ask Him. You have not because you? That's right. So ask Him. But the comfort is the Holy Spirit is also asking for the things we need that we don't even understand. He is praying for the what. The what is important. As we look at 26 and 27, what we see is the intercessory work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, helping him pray, not lose hope, and be who God wants him to be because we have 28 coming. Look at 28. And that means it goes along with, likewise, the same way the Holy Spirit's working to help us pray, we also can know. Isn't that what he says? And we know. Not we wonder, that's confidence, right? And we know with absolute knowledge. And we know. All things work together for good. That's usually where everybody stops. And we walk around and tell people that phrase. Oh, don't worry about it. All things work together for good. Is that what that verse says? Four, crying in a bucket. We've got to slow down and pay attention. Do you know that there are two qualifying statements in that verse to decide whether or not all things work together for good? There are two qualifying statements. That it, all things work together for good to these two kinds of people. And that's it. He says in verse 28, All things work together for good. First qualifier to those who, what's it say? Love God. Second qualifier to those who are the called according to His purpose. All things means everything. Every bad thing, every good thing, every... Neutral thing, every possible thing that comes into your life works for good if you meet those two qualifications. To those who love God and are, you notice the definite article, the called. Not just who are called, who are the called. The called is a specific group of people. So when we look at this scripture, we want to hold to this promise. We want to tie it together with the intercessory work of the Holy Spirit, which strengthens my prayer life and the knowledge that all the things that are working on in my life are going to work together for good as long as I am one of those who love God and are the called. Right? We all together in that concept? Everything that we see is intended... For our good or God's glory. So let's look at those conditions. Those who love God. What is it? Now people will say, well, this is what it means. The Bible says that uh, uh, this is the love of God that you obey His commandments. The problem is, that is the effect of the love of God already being in your life. It's not the definition of the love of God. It's the fruit coming from the root. You get what I mean? If the root is love of God or love for God, the love of the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Everything that I am, that's the root. Obeying His commandments is the fruit. Okay, but it's not the definition. It's not what the love of God is. We we say, well, well, if we love God, then we'll forsake all. Again, that's the fruit. From the root. The root in my life is that I love God. The fruitfulness of that is that I'm willing to put all things before Him. But that's not the definition. That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. You know my favorite place to go and understand that? Is John 21. What is the lo- those who love God? Those who love God. What did Jesus say to John or to Peter? Peter, do you love me? What did Peter say? Yea, Lord, I love you. What did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Now let me give you Jackie's spin on it. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me with self-sacrificing love? Peter said, "Yea, Lord, you know that I am your friend." Jesus said, "Then." Act like it. And he put the symbol of that on it. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Care for my people. Love my people. Take care of my people. Isn't that what he said? Well, Jesus said it another way. They will know you are really my disciples by the way you love who? One another. How we love one another. This promise can be claimed and held on firm footing for those who love God. Those who love God. They desire God Himself more than His gifts. They treasure God Himself more than His gifts. They delight in God Himself beyond His gifts. They are satisfied in God Himself beyond His gifts. They are cherishing God Himself beyond His gifts. They are savoring God Himself beyond His gifts. They value God, prize God, revere God, admire God. Not just His gifts. That's why I love John 21. Because Jesus said, do you love me with a self-sacrificing love? And Peter said, I'm your friend. And Jesus said a second time, do you love me with a self-sacrificing love? And Peter said, I'm your friend. Each time the Lord called him to service. Each time the Lord called him to love his people. Each time the Lord called him to tend his sheep. But the third time he asked him, Peter was grieved in his heart. Because God said, Peter, are you my friend? The Lord stepped down from Self-sacrificing love to where Peter was. And he said, are you my friend? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know I'm your friend. And then, the Lord, after telling him again to tend, to love, to care for his sheep, he said, days are coming, Peter, when you will love me that way. Why? Because we are without strength. And so God Himself comes alongside and helps us, shoulders the burden that the Holy Spirit comes into our life and the love of God is dumped, poured, smushed into who we are. The love of God. And so we have the Holy Spirit with us helping us to reach the depths of Of those who love God. But the second qualifier will tell you who are able to love God that way. Only one group of people are able to love God that way. They are the called according to his purpose. They are the called. In the coming weeks, we're going to get into the doctrine of election. I reject what is typically known as unconditional election. I, I believe in something called congruent election. And I don't want to get into a bunch of theological terms. So let me, let me try to give it to you simple. The simple understanding is, everyone gets the call. Not everyone is the called. The called are only those who will see in another verse, who receive the gospel that was offered... And they then bear the title, the called, according to His purpose. Now God knows who they are before the foundation of the world. How is that possible? Because the scripture tells us that God is existing at the same time. In past, present, and future, simultaneously, God not only knew you before you were born, He at the same time knows you today. He knew you yesterday, and He knows what you're going to do in the future. He sees it all at one specific second. C.S. Lewis called it something... I don't remember what it was now. What do they call that? A senior moment? Oh, Lord have mercy. Well, anyway, it was good. (laughs) Yeah, it's not important. But the idea, the concept is that concept, that God exists simultaneously in outside of time, He sees your whole life. Beginning, middle, end, today, now, all of it. All of it. All of it. So God, that's why the Bible says, God is able to say, you're the called. Because He knows the general call has gone out. And He sees your life. And he, he, he sees you reaching your arms to receive the call. And so He says, that's the call. The other ones heard it. It's not that they can't be saved. It's that they won't. There's a big difference, right? Between won't and can't. The blood of Jesus Christ and the call is sufficient for all the world. For God so loved how much? The whole world that He gave His only begotten Son. The whosoever. Does that count Everybody. Whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. So, that congruent election fits all the scriptures. And we'll talk about that more when we get to chapter 9. But I just want to give you that concept. The called are the saved, those who have received the gospel of Jesus Christ in their hearts, and they are able to love God because the Holy Spirit pours the love of God into their life. The Holy Spirit is our guarantee. So he's saying, if you're saved, if you know him, if you're experiencing these things, man, absolutely and beyond all shadow of doubt, you can then claim and know all things work together for good. When I was 13 years old, I was sexually abused by a counselor at camp. Was at a camp for um, handicapped kids. So I was at one of the counselors And uh, for a long time, I would say something like, well, what was that all about? What was that for? What good possibly comes out of that? Now, I want you to hold on to that word good, because it's not necessarily what you see as good. Hopefully you do, but we're going to see it in a verse, We'll, we'll come to it. But I just know in my life, God has used that hurt to minister life to hundreds of kids that have been through the same thing. God took my hurt and pain and He redeemed it and then gave me opportunity to share healing and life to people who had been through similar experiences so I can know... All things doesn't mean most things. All things means all things. Everything works together for good to those who love God and are the called, to believers, those who have received and are born again, the Holy Spirit is in their life. They can cling to this promise. But then I want you to to look and see because specifically there's two things. i got time. There's two things... That, uh, that the Scripture talks about that says these are the good that, that God is working through your life with all the stuff that has happened in your life. And they're exciting things that God's working in our life. Look what it says in verse 29. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Here's the good, to be conformed into the image of His Son. Okay, so we're looking at all things work together for good. And now, we want to know what the good is. The good isn't always, I got the house, I got the job, I got healed, I got what I wanted, or I didn't get what I wanted. The good is, He is working in your life to conform you into the image of His Son. You're becoming like Jesus. And He uses everything in your life to do that. Every good, bad, hard, easy, everything in your life... God uses to conform you into the image of His Son. That's the good. There's more, but i got to back up because He just used some crazy words. Did you guys see those words He used? Whom He foreknew He did also predestinate? (coughs) Wow! What does that mean? That means that all throughout the Scripture, every single page, every single book, God takes man's theology and he goes like this. He gets a big grin on his face and he goes like, shakes it all up and throws it in the air. You don't think so? So, whom he foreknew. The concept of the word used for foreknowledge is similar to the, the word that says Adam knew Eve. You guys know what I mean when it says that in the Bible, right? Well, in case you don't, it says Adam knew Eve And had a son. Are we together? So it's tied together with that understanding, his foreknowledge that God loved us before there was any reason for him to love us. And remember, outside of time, he sees past, present, future all at once. He foreknew. He foreordained, He understood who we are, what's in our heart, what we're going to do in our life, the things that are going to enter into our life and affect our life. He knows every left, right, forward, every possible part of it. He knows our heart to receive the gospel that He's offering, so whom He foreknew, He predestined. That means God never lost a single person that He ordained to save. That's kind of cool. God never, Jesus said, if I got you in my hands, nobody's going to snatch you out. And the Father is mightier than I, holds you in his hands. And no one snatches us out of the hands. No one, who he foreknew, he predestined. Predestined means he set the borders, the boundaries, where you could get in or out whom he foreknew he predestined to what purpose so that you will conform to the image of his son Don't you see god says man, i, I love you so much and i know, i've known you since before you were born and i know i've i've been, i've been patiently waiting for your time because I, I can see you now falling in love and, and I can see you building a family. I can see you enjoying a relationship with me and I, and I know where you're going. I'm so excited for what's coming, but, but I'm going to make sure you get there. Man, that is so exciting to understand. If I, if God has begun a good work in me, what does the Scripture say? He's going to finish it, right? The Scripture says, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded He, God, is able to keep me into that day. Who keeps me? Do I keep myself, or does God keep me? Who holds me? Do I hold myself, or does God hold me? He says, whom He foreknew, He did also predestine, to be conformed to the image of His Son. And the second good thing, that He, His Son, might be the firstborn among many brethren. Might be the firstborn. Wow, that's kind of a strange word. Well, it's the Greek word, protokos. And what it means is, that He would be the preeminent. Okay, let's do it this way. So who He foreknew, He predestined, He set the borders for them so that they would absolutely be conformed into the image of His Son and that they would absolutely make Jesus first in their life. That God has ordained that for you. You believe in Jesus Christ and we stress and we sweat and we worry about assurance and what's going on in our life. And it's not that you have faith in a prayer. And it's not that you have I'm talking about you have been born Again. You have surrendered. Jesus Christ has come into your life. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. Then you are guaranteed to be conformed into His image. And you are guaranteed to reach the point where Christ is preeminent. Where He's the most important thing in your life. And we know all things work together for good. To conform me into the image of God and to make Jesus first. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Not just for me, for the body of Christ. That Jesus becomes the protocost, That Jesus becomes preeminent. That he becomes the most important. That's the good. The good's not always I'm going to get a bonus or I'm going to find a hundred bucks under my seat when I need gas in my truck. Or, or, Did that ever happen to any of you guys? <laughs> That's probably reaching. I never found a hundred bucks just sitting under my seat. Usually I find a dollar. Once upon a time, you could actually put a gallon. There are some people with gray hair who remember that. <clears throat> there are other people who are like, man, it ain't never been that cheap. Anyways, <clears throat> it's not. that's not the good. The good is that He will conform you into the image of His Son and that He will make Christ preeminent in your life. The Holy Spirit is accomplishing that through your prayer life, coming up underneath you, helping you shoulder the burden because of our weakness so we can hold on to the hard things, the difficult things, the painful things, and say, you know what? God's using this to conform me into the image of His Son. God's using this to make Jesus preeminent in my life. And then He, he closes it out with the coolest promise of all. He uses crazy words still, but He does close it out. in Verse 30, look what He says, Moreover, whom he predestined, those he called. Whom he predestined, those he called. You know why I love that? Whenever we talk about the doctrine of election, I don't know why this is so hard for other people to understand, but whenever the Bible talks about the doctrine of election, it talks about the doctrine of election in terms of the saved. According to this verse, who has been predestined? The called. Does it say then, does it mean then that those who are not called have been predestined? It doesn't say that. Does it say that? Does it say God chose for them and so they can never be saved no matter what they want? No, it says only only the predestined are the called. And who is predestined? Those he foreknew, those he saw in in all of creation from beginning to end at the same time, recognizing their heart and desire for him. And we're going to see in chapter 9, it's going to say, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated, and they were never born before God made that choice. How could God possibly know? Because he knew their hearts. Because he's outside of time, he never takes away the free agency of man. You get to choose. The Bible says things like, choose this day who you will serve, doesn't it? The Bible says, see, I put before you this day, life and death. Choose life. If that choice was made for you, God wouldn't tell you to do that, would He? The only ones who are predestined are the called. Those who aren't the called, who aren't saved, they're not predestined. Now if they receive, guess what they become? The called and predestined. Oh my gosh, I don't even have to do mental gymnastics. It just happens automatically. So those he he predestined, these he also called. And those he called, he also Justified. Remember the word justified? So justified means He's covering my sin, right? Jesus Christ covers my sin. Underneath His covering, I'm still a sinner. I'm, I'm still a sinner, right? I'm justified. So whom He predestined, He called. Whom He called, He justified. That's the, the 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 things we've been talking about salvation throughout the first five chapters of Romans. And then He makes this incredible leap those he justified he also that's the last step well, don't you understand he said those he just if you're justified he speaks in the past tense because it is sure that you'll be glorified do you get that Those he predestined, because he foreknew, he called. Became the called. They received the gospel, they became the called. The elect. It says multiple places in scripture. The called, he justified. Does he justify everyone on earth? Is everyone's sins forgiven? No. Whose? Believers, right? Well, they're, they're the called. So the called are believers, they're justified. And if you're justified, he says, I guarantee you'll be glorified. Is that not exciting? Yeah. So if you're justified, God says, I will not ever lose you. I'm not going to be up in heaven busy and I wasn't looking for a couple minutes and I would come back and I go, oh my gosh, where'd he go? That ever happened to you guys we're camping I got time we're camping where where am I over there down in in Hagerman at Thousand Springs we're there the uh, uh, Wade and Michelle Fairchild's son Casey and his wife Rashmir got married in South Africa and they came back and they had a reception down there so we're camping down there and i'm uh, uh, um I uh, don't know how to say it. I'm going to get in trouble. Where's Kathy at? Don't listen. No. I'm not sleeping. You don't even know the story. I don't really like receptions very much. So our rule is that they cut the cake. That's Jackie's out. So if you're trying to keep me at a reception, just don't cut the cake. But if, that, if a knife heads toward the cake, you'll see me start getting up. Oh, cool. Jackie's time's over. But Kathy stays to the last note of the last dance of the last whatever. Now, the only exception to that rule is when my kids get married. And then I don't get the, the cake out clause. So we're there at the reception. And they're cutting the cake. So I tell to Kathy, I say, Kathy, I'm going to go back and, and do some studying at the trailer. And so I took Joe with me. So I got Joe. And I'm sitting at the, the kitchen table. And I'm, and I'm studying, reading the Bible. And Joe's sleeping on the couch. So Joe pops up, like he does sometimes, and he goes, out the door. I assume, like every good father, <laughs> that he's going to be pacing. He, Joe's, Joe paces. That's what Joe does. So I keep reading, and in like 10 minutes, I think, oh, I better look. So I look out the window. I don't see him yet. And I, but he sometimes paces a long ways away and comes back, you know, back and forth. You guys see him. He does it right out here all the time. So 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 I go back. I'm reading. i studying. And I'm and then I, I, another 10 minutes goes by, and I look out the window again. And usually I'll catch them, you know, randomly at some point. So then I go, well, I better go look. So I open up the door. No, Joe. Now, he's got like a 20-minute head start on me. <laughs> in Hagerman, at the river. And so I have a moment. Now, the panic for me is not something bad's happened to my son. The panic is, I got to go tell Kathy I lost Joe. <laughs> I really wasn't worried. I, I figured Joe was going to be okay, but but the panic was, if I got to where Kathy was and Joe didn't go there, oh, Lord have mercy. It'll be bad. So I walk, and it's a long ways away. I walk, it's like, I don't know, quarter mile? No, probably not. Long ways. I walk a long ways over there, and Kathy's getting in her car to come back, but I don't see Joe, so I just stand in the middle of the road, because I figure she's going to come my way, so she does, she comes back, and I was oh so happy to see Joe in the back, well, Kathy says she saw Joe come walking up, and she said, she said, oh, Jackie must be be going home, because I went went home last night to stay at the house, because I come early, and uh, she said, oh, Jackie must must have have left, and then she hangs out for a while. And then she asked Joe, did you tell your dad where you went? And he goes, no. Nope. And about that time, she looked over and see me walking through the parking lot, wandering around, going, man, I hope he's with Kathy. I hope he's with Kathy. We, when we, we, you and I, we might lose somebody. And we went around in the room. There's stories of people who, who went to the grocery store, forgot they had their kid, and left their kid in the grocery store. You say, that's not possible. Or, it happened to me? <laughs> it has to be able to happen. <laughs> but God never loses anybody. If you're His, you're predestined, you're called, you're elect, you're going to be confer- con- uh Conformed into the image of His Son. You're going to see the preeminence of Christ. Him becoming first in your life. Those things you can know. That God is going to do those things. The called are justified. The justified are glorified. God always finishes what He starts.